Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Living with Power Hope podcast. Lena Abjammer here, and I'm your host. And what we're going to do is run a teaching series that I've done called the Unshaken series. If you are new here, welcome. This summer, really, we're looking to encourage you. The Unshaken series is one of the most encouraging series I've taught. It is a, a topical series through the Bible, starting with Genesis and looking at men and women whose faith remained unshaken despite great trials and oppositions. If you just are looking for ways to connect with God and His Word, then I know you're going to find it here. So go ahead, listen up, and I pray that God's going to use this teaching to bless and encourage you. I'm going to teach today from Genesis, so take your Bibles and turn towards Genesis 16. And I'm going to read the section there, teach a little, then move to 18, and then move a little bit more. So we're going to make our way through um, studying this woman of faith, Sarah. We looked at Adam and Eve the first week, then we looked at Abraham, and now we're going to land on Sarah. Sarah, who I honestly confess I don't think too much about, and yet has a central part in the story of our forefathers. And so I think you guys are going to enjoy it. I call today's teaching Unshaken When It's Easier Not to Believe. All right, some of you right now are landing into this page and you're struggling with your faith and you're struggling with promises that God has given you that just seem too good to be true. They just seem like they're, they're just not believable. And, and maybe you did believe them at one point and maybe right now you're questioning God, like, did you really mean it? Is, it maybe I heard you wrong. Maybe, maybe I misinterpreted what you said. And so I pray that as we get into this, in fact, right now, God, I pray that as we get into your word, you would bring those promises, promises of your word, promises that you give about yourself, about our, our lives, promises about um, how we are supposed to live in your kingdom, promises about our future. God, you've given many of us, all of us, Lord, you've given us all a, a sense of your will in our life, but more than a sense, you've given us your living word upon which we can stand. So Lord, as I teach tonight, I ask that you would bring verses and promises and your word to the hearts of every man and woman tuning in. And Lord, for those who are not listening tonight or listening later, just remind us of those things that you've promised us that we now no longer believe. God, you are the God who resurrects what's dead. God, that, that means sometimes believing for a miracle. And so, Father, for those who are watching right now who need a miracle, I ask for eyes to see, spiritual eyes to see not what we want, but what you are, who you are, and what only you can do. God, we love being called your children. And so uh, we access your throne. We pray because of Jesus and the, and, and, and the price he paid so that we could be able to talk to you like this. You, the living God who created us, who put us on this earth, who's given us boldness and freedom and joy. So help us to live in this joy now. Teach us from your word. Spirit of God, you have been given to teach us. So Holy Spirit, come now and do what you need to do. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So let's talk about Sarah when it's easier not to believe. And honestly, Sarah's story is a bit crazy. Let me read you um, these verses. And if you're married, you're going to like follow along and be like, oh my gosh, what was she thinking? All right. So remember just for context that God chose Abraham, not because of who Abraham was, but because of God's grace. And he chose him out of the world people. And he just started his plan in this person who had become basically the father of many nations. And of course, now, you know, we know the story of Abraham. And one of the promises was that they would have a child. Now, when God called Abraham, Abraham was 75 years old, all right? And so already that's sort of aged, and his wife was 10 years younger than him. And so basically, I would think that's a hard promise to believe anyway. But then 10 years go by, and nothing happens. And you can imagine that when you're in that place, uh, you start to doubt. And the story of Sarah is really a story that starts with doubt. And if you're a struggler in faith, I think you're going to enjoy the lesson today. In fact, the New Testament has its poster child for doubt. He was one of the 12 disciples, Thomas, 
Well, here we see Sarah, and you say, well, how did she die? Well, she starts by, by doing this. Now, Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. And if you Google how old they are at this point, Abraham is 86, Sarah is 76. They are old. They are well past where they can have kids. And Sarah's starting to worry about it. Like, how does this, how do, how does this work out? Like, I know God said. And so she starts to think of ways that she could help fulfill God's promise. I think her motive might have been good because God had promised Abraham a son. And now Sarah's like, well, I can't do it. So if God promises a son, let me get out of the way and allow Abraham to continue the promise that God's given. So she intervenes and we don't know what her motive is, but, but we're going to see what she does. She says uh, she had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarah said to Abraham, behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant and maybe that I shall obtain children by her. So they lived in a culture where it was okay. I know now it sounds horrific. Like we go, what kind of woman would offer her husband to one of their servants to have a baby? But in that culture, in that context, that was acceptable. Even though it was not God's best, it was acceptable. And so Sarah, and I really believe the more I think about Sarah, and you'll see in a minute, like she's commended for her faith. I really believe she believed that God would give Abraham a son. I believe what she doubted was that she would be the person to bear that son. And so she starts thinking humanly, how can I help God accomplish his goals for our lives? Right? And that's an interesting statement because that's what we do when we stop believing God. And so she wants what God wants, but she doesn't see how it's going to be accomplished in God's way. And so she jumps in and decides to help God out. Always a bad plan. In fact, Write this down for point number one. When God promises the impossible, it's always tempting to try to do it my own way. It's always tempting. It doesn't matter what God has promised. If it seems impossible, our human tendency is to want, it's all about control. We like what God promises most of the time. When God gives us promises, they're good things. Maybe you're single. God's promised you somewhere in your life. You've had a verse, a promise. You went to, you know, you went to a retreat, a camp, a conference. God put something in your life and it's a promise and you've held on to it and it's a good thing and it's God's will. And, 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 and you believe it at first, but five years go by and 10 years go by and one day you go, man, I'm going to get help God out. And you come up and you do, here's what we tend to do. How do we take matters in our own hands? For Sarah, it was looking at a means to give Abraham a son when she didn't see that she could. And in fact, she couldn't. It demanded a miracle, a breakthrough, a God work. And so how do we do it? Well, she manipulated the situation. That's often how we do it when we try to help God. So, so trying to resolve God-given problems with man-made solutions will always fail. You go, well, how do we try to solve man or God-sized problems with man-made solutions? Well, we manipulate the situation. Uh, we, uh, here's one way we do it. We don't just manipulate, but we rush ahead of God. So often it's not, we want the same thing as God and we're trying to walk in line with him. But when we start to see this isn't going to work out, we just speed up ahead of God and we figure, well, God, you're just not going fast enough. And so we rush. And so many people are married right now because you rushed ahead of God. And for better or for worse, maybe you've learned now to love your spouse. You've seen that happen where you saw that maybe the way you started was not how God intended. By the way, uh, a lot of application there, but we rush ahead of God. It doesn't have to just be in marriage. It can be, I'm thinking about marriage because of Abraham and Sarah, but it can be in any way, in promotions, in work, in ministry. How often has this been a reality in my life? I've wanted to accomplish God goals with man-made strategies. 
And so I rush ahead of God, I manipulate the situation. Uh, we act, we want to act. We resist sitting still and waiting to see God move and we act. And this is exactly what Sarah's doing. And, and, and sadly, Abraham listens. It says in verse two, I, I stopped reading after she came up with this bright idea, not so bright, but it says, and Abraham listened to the voice of Sarah. So after Abraham had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarah, Abraham's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abraham, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, she conceived. When Hagar saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. So Hagar, again, she's like, she doesn't have a choice. She's a servant. So she jumps into the plan by whether she wanted it or not. And as soon as she gets pregnant, she starts thinking she's better than Sarah. Sarah says to Abraham, may the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. And she kicks her out. Abraham says to Sarah, behold, your servant's in your power. Do to her as you please. Sarah dealt harshly with her and she fled from her. So the very plan that Sarah comes up with to reach a solution that is what God had promised backfires in her face. And so how do we take matters in our own hands? We manipulate, we rush ahead of God, and, or often, I'll tell you what we do, uh, at least with Sarah, at this point, at least she hadn't quit dreaming, but we quit dreaming. We quit believing. We quit living by faith that God will do what he's promised to do because it's easier to quit believing than to hinge all of your expectations on God who might or might not show up. Now, we know he will, but that's what happens in a place of doubt when disappointment looms, when delays happen, we wonder whether God will show up. And so it's easier, safer to quit than to continue believing God for that which you think he's promised. The other thing that we do when we try to take matters in our own hands, we um, listen to man instead of listening to God. I've, I've thought so much on that in this era of crisis. One of the, the habits that we have now in the world is we listen to everybody and everything except the Lord. The noise has distracted us to such a, a frenzy that we actually are tuning in all day long to every opinion and every video and every article, tweet, Facebook, blah, 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 so that there's so much noise. And then when we do listen like Sarah and Abraham, rather than Abraham had a habit of listening to God, and when does he fall into the strap when he listens to Sarah? And we all have been guilty of that. And so when God promises the impossible, it's always tempting to try to do it my own way. So trying to accomplish godly goals with man-made strategies always leads to pain. Now, you might luck out. You might be like, well, no, that's not true. I've done that sometimes. God may have worked it out despite you because we know Romans 8, 28, all things work together for good to those who love God. Um, but uh, you see a pattern where it's God redeeming our decisions as opposed to waiting for God to unfold. The classic example of the right way to do it would be the life of Joseph, which is in the Old Testament symbolic of the life of Jesus, who waited and let God vindicate him. And eventually the truth came out and what God had given him as a dream as a 17 year old came to be. He didn't try to manipulate the situation. He didn't stop dreaming. He continued to believe in faith. Sarah struggled with that. So trying to fulfill God-given promises with my ways is something we must learn to strongly resist. We can't control our futures and our destinies. We've got to give up control to God. Now, there are times when I have done in my life where I've tried to take matters in my own way and it's backfired, not so much in that I've gotten what I wanted. On the contrary, when I've tried to get what I want, I've failed. And I've ended up without what I thought was God's promise to me. 
And, and even in that place, I've written about that, my early experiences with dating and getting engaged and all of that drama and, and what I thought was then disastrous after trying to, to fix my own personal life and then ending in a disaster, really God turned around even that bad outcome for good. And we'll see that in your life over and over again. God working out for our good despite us. Romans 8.28, the Old Testament version of Romans 8.28 is uh, Genesis 50 at the end where, where Joseph says, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Even we sometimes mean things for good but they turn out evil and God still turns around them for good. That's an example of Joseph's brothers. Just to, I sort of feel like I'm you know, dipping into another story right now. So let's go back to Sarah and go to point number two. And I'm going to take you now, forget about Hagar. And I know you might have questions and I, I, I hate that I even brought her up because I, I have a feeling many of you are going to go back and want to tease that out a little bit more. We probably should do another teaching on Hagar sometimes. I am obsessed with Hagar. Small footnote. I have a study on Hagar, and maybe we can put a link for people because the Hagar story is a little chapter that we just glossed over, but I have a four teaching study on it that I love, and it talks about her angle. Because here's now a victim who, you know, these godly people, supposedly, Abraham and Sarah, they're people after God's heart. They're following God. God is blessing them, promising them. He's, this is his poster child for the people who are going to become his children, right? I mean, he's, this is their relationship with God is what we're all emulating. And, and they fail miserably and they drag in the Egyptian Hagar who now suffers abuse at the hand of Sarah. And she's kicked out. And, and yet God actually defends Sarah later. She comes, Hagar comes back. And so I don't want to delve into that too much we'll give you that teaching it's free but 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 I will say this it's it's it when we try to accomplish God's ways with our strategies it messes everybody around us it messes everything so it's not like it's just me myself and I it has impact on everybody so think about your life and where you've tried to do that now what what more let's let's go to big point number two we're talking about standing unshaken when it's easier not to believe think about the promises in your life I'm going to read you a little bit of a of the passage here in Genesis 18 that was part of the reading that we put up so in Genesis 18 the Lord appears to Abraham. Now, Abraham is at the Oaks of Mamre, just to give you some story. He's sitting, it's afternoon, he's having an after lunch, I don't know, rest, siesta, whatever you want to call it. And in the middle of it, uh, three people come, and so Abraham sees them, and, and he says to the, he bows himself to the ground. He doesn't know who they are. They're like strangers, they're coming over. He says, oh Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, don't pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought. I'm reading in Genesis 18, verse four. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. So Abraham is hospitable. He wants to open his home to these strangers. He doesn't know that this is a theophany, a God coming to visit him in the setting. And, and, and so while I, he says to them, while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves and after that you may pass on since you have come to your servant. So they said, do as you have said. And Abraham went quickly. So he offers them a meal. And what do you think he did? I'm from that culture. And so if you're American born after 1980, you're probably going, well, did he cook? Uh, no, he did not. He went and got the wife because that's what they do in that part of the world. That's what my people do. And so basically he goes and says to his wife and Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, quick, three seers of fine flour, knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds of milk and calf that he had prepared, set it before them. So basically there's a party, a feast, everybody's involved. And uh, Abraham stands by them under the tree while they ate. What? I don't know why Abraham did that. I think he was just a hospitable guy. I think this is just all divinely ordained, but here's where I want to zone in, all right? So the three people, they say to Abraham, where is Sarah, your wife? 
So remember, Abraham is the one that we've been seeing God deal with. He shows up, he speaks the word to him. Now he says, where's Sarah's life? And he says, she's in the tent. Now we, if you know the story, you, you're, gonna, you're, you're thinking ahead, you know what's happening. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. So she's eavesdropping as every good Middle Eastern woman would do. And Abraham and Sarah, now it says in verse 11, now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. By now, um, you estimate when you look at uh, the, the ages of Gen the promise in Genesis 17, says they were 99 years old. So Abraham is 99, Sarah's 89. There's no chance they could have kids. And remember, that's the promise that God gave him. You are going to have kids, so many kids, and through you will be born the Messiah, basically, was the promise. And so now there's like no sign of that. There's Ishmael, who's a, it's a mess of a situation. And there's God still saying to Abraham, uh, Abraham, uh, you're, Sarah is going to have a son, not, not, not Hagar. Uh, you're not, it's not going to be Ishmael. There's a son that I promised you. And it's a son of promise. And, and so Sarah's listening and she's 89 and she's kind of going like, so what do you think she did? That. It says now, now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of woman had ceased to be with Sarah. She was postmenopausal, in other words. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? I wrote this down in point number two. When God promises the impossible, it's always easier not to believe. Okay, that's the title of this teaching unshaken when it's easier not to believe. The truth is, it's always easier not to believe when God gives you the impossible. It's always easier, and, and that space of disbelief, I call it cynicism. That's what you see Sarah doing. She's cynical. She hears God's promise now, 20 years have passed, and she's just like, there is no way. I don't know who's saying that, but that's not going to happen here. And you say, what did God do? Well, he says, uh, because by now we're going to see how how it became evident that this is a, a theophany later, we'll, if you keep reading. But for now, Abraham and Sarah were old. Verse 12, so Sarah laughed to herself. Verse 13, the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. If you're listening right now and you are hanging on to a promise that God has given you in your life that you have been waiting for and praying for, maybe you're, you yourself have faced the cynicism and maybe inside you've laughed. I, I have that Sarah point in certain areas in my life where I'm just like, yeah, right. And I'll make jokes and it's self, you know, deprecating, but, but beneath it is a cynicism. And maybe that's you and you're hearing these words and, and maybe that's already blessed you to hear that, that God is the one who says to Abraham, is anything too hard for the Lord at the appointed time? God doesn't say, man, Sarah, you blew it. I was going to honor you with a son. But now that you laughed in cynicism, done. He doesn't do that. Do you, do you see a pattern with God? We've only done three weeks in this series, but have you started to see a pattern? We look at the world. So many of the questions have come in the past six weeks of us doing this community where we've seen people say, well, you know, if God is good, why does he allow bad things to happen? If God is good, why is there so much suffering? And we go on and on about that. But think about it. Over and over again, we see this picture of God who could squelch us because of our disbelief. And instead... He pours his grace on us. So here's Sarah literally mocking in her head, like this can't happen. And God doesn't say, okay, you know what? It was going to happen. But now that you say that, Sarah, done. Your faith is this big. It's not going to happen. Done. He doesn't do that. He says it's going to happen next year because God 
sees the bigger picture. And this is not just about a son for Sarah and Abraham. This is about God's kingdom. This is about a line through whom Jesus would eventually be born to save the world. This is about God. The story is less about Abraham and Sarah and all about God. This book is not about Abraham and Sarah and Adam and Eve and Joseph. This is about the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and this, the story of God uh, who sent his Son to redeem mankind to save us. It's a story of grace and love and freedom and peace. And so Sarah, you say, what was her response? Because now God's like, no, it's going to happen. And, and Sarah denied it, saying, I didn't laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, no, but you did laugh. Cynicism and doubt is nothing more than faithlessness. If you are living right now in a season in your life, and uh, some of what I'm writing on in my new book is about this issue of wrestling with God in our disappointments, in our pain, in our areas where we thought God would do this, and instead, here's what I'm living. And there's so much pain in that space. And, and many people we've seen in the Christian world have gone away. They call it deconstruction of the faith. They have left the faith. They don't want anything to Jesus because they look at God and his promises. They look at their life and they go, man, if the gap is this wide, it's not reconcilable, then I'm, I can't believe in this God. And they leave. But, but God hangs on and he says to her, he's, he's faithful. She has this struggle with believing God's faith fullness when he's done nothing but be faithful to them and yet he still doesn't leave he doesn't give up on them and so you might be uh, living in that space right now and you want to believe God listen I want to encourage you because we see in this story a God who pours his mercy on Sarah whose faith is this big and I see in a minute uh, what God says about Sarah it's pretty astounding but but cynicism and doubt is nothing more than faithlessness and a disbelief in the faithfulness of God. Cynicism and doubt is poor protection from God's love. Here's what I think we do psychologically. I think we use cynicism as a means to protect ourselves from God. And I I remember I've lived that in my life. I remember the first time I had a faith crisis. It was in, in, in this situation with dating and marriage and and I hit a wall with God and I felt like God had abandoned me and, and didn't pull his part of the bargain. And I remember being so upset about it. And God got me out of that pit as he often has done in our lives and is continuing to do in our lives. And, and I remember thinking now that I've wrestled with him over this, like nothing bad can happen again. And, and then just a few years later, facing another crisis of faith and being sort of like shook up, like, wait, what's happening? Why is God not delivering everything I want when I want it? And again, going into this place where I think, God, you've promised, but it's not happening. How can you be good and faithful when in fact he was? But I was judging God, not by his character, but by what I wanted, making myself the center of the universe as opposed to God, rightful center of the universe. And in, in the second and third time that you face a crisis, because I believe with all my heart, it's not if we face a crisis of faith, but when and how often. What do you do in that space? Where do you go in that space? And, and we try to use cynicism to protect ourselves from the hope. You know, hope, sometimes hope has this expectation and living with expectation and anticipation that God will do something good. It's like, it's, like we, it's easier to live in an Eeyoreism you know, what if God doesn't show up mentality, but what if we lived in a positive, biblical, God is going to show up. What if he does show up? Think about your life right now. Think about the things in your life that you've been praying for, loved ones, you want to come to the Lord. And so many of us resign ourselves to going, well, they're never going to get saved, but, you know, let me build a life based on the won'ts. God won't show up. But what if we lived 
with the sense that God is going to answer, that God is indeed good, not because we want to believe it, but because his word says it and because this universe declares it. We're so trained to disbelieve God. The message is in our culture. Well, if your God is real, how come you're still barren? I wonder how many people said that to Sarah. You're, after you're laughing at her, mocking her, think about Noah building the boat. How many people ridiculed him, but he believed. So cynicism and, and doubt, sometimes we use them to protect ourselves from God's love and they always lead to regret. And so here's Sarah, she regrets it, she denies it. She's kind of stuck and yet God, you say, what happens next? We're gonna go to the third point. So, so far we're looking about how to be unshaken when it's easier not to believe. It's always tempting to take matters into my own hands. It's always easier not to believe. And then number three, when God promises the impossible, he always comes through in his perfect timing. We see that in the chapter I just read where God is speaking to Abraham and, and he says, why did Sarah laugh? Is anything too hard for the Lord at the appointed time? There's an appointed time for everything that God does in our life. There's an appointed time for, for who gets, who comes to Christ in your life. I have a friend who says, when we talk about people in our life that they don't know Jesus yet, you know, he's not a believer. She'll say, well, he's not a believer yet. He's on the way to become a believer. And, and we all, we have our, in our brains this black and white mentality when in fact, God just hasn't done it yet. Single people, you might be like, well, I'm single. You know, I can't ever... Yet, yet, like God might still do it. We don't know. You married people, you might be so sick of the person you're living with. Man, they never change, they never change. And they're saying this, that same thing on the other side of the bed. Yet, yet, your kids, you're like, man, they don't listen, they don't grow up. Be patient. God has promised that if you bring them up in the way of the Lord, there's certain promises that God has given us about life. Not our wish list, but promises of God that point to a glorious God, that give glory to God. Faith gives glory to God. And so what happened in the story? Genesis 21, just a handful of verses, and then we'll wrap up. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. This wasn't about, this was not about Abraham and the Lord. This is about the Sarah and the Lord. There's such a relationship there. I think in my life, you know, there's a sense that, that we're, that I always thought about God and Abraham and, and we forget that Sarah is also part of this relationship. And she's not just like a tag along to Abraham. She has her own relationship with God. And if you don't believe it, you're going to see in a minute in Hebrews 11, the, the writer of Hebrews 11, give her credit for her faith it blows you away and so here God specifically when it's time to have a kid he talks about Sarah and how he he delivers as he has promised and Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him so a year before he had said in a year you will have a baby and as God had said and you say how did they react Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him whom Sarah bore him Isaac you want to know the meaning of Isaac it means laughter. Ironically, Abraham, I admit, didn't read over the chapter. He had a moment where he laughed in disbelief. And both of them had this response. And now God is redeeming that laughter. Instead of a laughter of cynicism, it's a laughter of rejoicing in what God has accomplished. He says, Sarah, Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears 
will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. When God promises the impossible, he always comes through in his perfect timing. God fulfills his promises to us because of his faithfulness to us, not because of our faithfulness to him. He fulfills his promises to us despite our faithlessness to him. And he fulfills his promises to us when he wants to. You ever wondered why did God made them, make them wait 25 years? We all have our reasons and our theories about why God would do that. And, and there's a lot of reasons, I'm sure. But I believe more than anything, it, 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 the reason is that it wasn't about having a son. We make the waiting, we make the promises about the promise instead of understanding that it is about the promised giver. The whole story of Abraham and, and Sarah wasn't about, about them having a boy, period, end of story, move on. All right, we're done. It was about a God who commits to his people and never lets go. He made a covenant with them. And even when they laughed, even when they disbelieved, even in doubt, he remained faithful to him. A couple of thoughts as we close. How did Sarah do the rest of her life? Well, a couple of things. Uh, you can't miss Hebrews 11. And I'll read you uh, what the New Testament writer writes about Sarah because it's pretty incredible. Hebrews 11 is the chapter of, of faith in the Bible, listing all of the people of faith. And verse 8 was, by faith Abraham obeyed. He went out not knowing where. But then you go from Abraham's story to uh, verse, 10, uh, verse 11. By faith Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. It's uncanny, isn't it, that you can read the story of Sarah and be like, what? How does he write about her faith? Because she sure didn't sound faith-filled. You know, I've been sort of meditating on that. A lot of what I do to prepare is, is to think about the story and ask God to reveal things to me. And Do you know what I thought about today? I was on the treadmill. I have a lot of good thoughts on the treadmill. And, and I thought, you know, how do we, like, where is Sarah's faith? Because all we see is her laughing at God in cynicism. And, and maybe it wasn't because she didn't want it, but because she wanted it so much. She wanted the son so much, she just couldn't see a way. And we see her manipulating and angry at Hagar and hurt. And she's a mess. And, and, and you know, um, I like this because uh, uh, I thought about this today. I thought, here's a sign uh, that Sarah got it. Do you know later in life, her son Isaac had a situation where he and his wife could not have kids. Now, now if you know anything about families in general, and especially Middle Eastern families and families back um, in that era, the wife brought up the kids by and large. Later on, Sarah dies. Abraham is, is dead in, in Genesis 25. And we hear the story of Isaac and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, to be his wife. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. To me, that says it all. A woman who waited 25 years named Sarah for a son, who spent much of those years disbelieving, manipulating, curbing her expectations to set herself up against disappointment, now has trained up a boy who, when he's going through a trial with his wife, and they cannot have babies, she's taught him, Isaac, when you face that, you don't manipulate, you don't quit dreaming, you don't question, you don't laugh, you get on your knees and you pray. And so by faith, Sarah, when she was past age, conceived and bore a son and called him Laughter. And this name, Laughter, now means rejoicing in the faithfulness of God, no longer cynical, 
Oh yeah, it may be easier not to believe, but it's powerful to stand strong in the promises of God in faith by learning year after year, promise after promise, that even when I disbelieve God, He is still good, He's still for me, and He will still accomplish that which He has promised me. And so be encouraged tonight. If you're that person and you have felt a struggle, that maybe you're mad at yourself. Often I've been frustrated with myself. Why can't I just believe God? Why, God, why do I still doubt you? And even in those moments, God is the one who's got a hold on you. And that's such good news. And so if you know this God, I know in your heart, you're so swelling up with rejoicing. And if you haven't met him yet, I'm telling you, his greatest promise to you is that if you receive his son, Jesus Christ, into your hearts, you will be given eternal life. You will be called the child of God, adopted into family, the family of God, and you can receive him even tonight. So I pray that you do. 